Welcome to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. This is Sarah Richardson, and today we are featuring a conversation with Andrew Carr on the humility imperative and why the humble leader wins in an age of ego. Andrew Carr is a technology executive with 10 plus years of diverse experience leading teams, delivering solutions, and helping individuals and organizations to grow and thrive. He is currently the CEO of 40AU LLC, where he leads an agile team of software developers to deliver custom software solutions for clients in healthcare, higher education, sports, and entertainment industries. Andrew previously served as the Assistant Vice President for Parallel Technology Solutions, where he directed efforts of over 150 consultants to deliver high-priority IT projects for many of the nation's top healthcare companies. Andrew has a passion for training and leadership development, annually teaches dozens of classes on diverse topics, including change management, managing up, lateral leadership, and the power of humility for leaders. His first book, The Humility Imperative, Why the Humble Leader Wins in an Age of Ego, was released on Amazon in 2017. Andrew, welcome to our program today. Great. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. You're accomplished in so many ways in the industry. And your first publication, The Humility Imperative, uh, is a new book for you. And after spending so much of your career in the healthcare industry, uh, what applicability does humility have within this industry specifically? Well, sure. No, good question. I um, I actually think, I mean, one of the things that when I set out to write the book, I really wanted to, uh, it's really written for leaders in any industry, first of all, because I think that humility, uh, what I'm really trying to do, I guess, with the book is to sort of change the perception and really talk about why humility is not only a good thing, but actually should be a requirement for leadership. And um, when you, when you know, so I'm trying to change that perception. And I guess when you kind of drill into the healthcare industry, um, one of the things I talk about and, and one of the things that is key to being a humble leader is being able to sort of embrace failure, embrace your mistakes, be able to be teachable and learn from them. And I think, you know, unfortunately within the healthcare industry, um, they have certainly made strides, I think, over the last few years, but there still is a, a big health and safety quality issue within the industry that a lot of times, unfortunately, is very difficult to discuss. And there are many reasons around that, right? When you start talking about liability within the healthcare space, um, it's it can be a challenging issue, but you know there's a um, one of the uh, people that I cite uh, in the book is a doctor who holds an anonymous podcast. His name is Dr. Brian Goldman. Has a great TED talk out there, and he talks about um, his pod, his his theme of his um, TED talk was really, "Hey, doctors make mistakes. Can we talk about that?" Because he says there's this uh, culture within um, the healthcare and the medicine industry of, you know, there are doctors that are perfect and there are doctors that make mistakes and there's no in between. And, and really, when you think about that, we know that, that people are going to make mistakes. And, and we know that obviously in the healthcare field, it's the, when mistakes happen, it's very high stakes. But if you don't, as a, uh, if you don't have a culture that embraces you know, the idea that, yes, we are human, we're going to make mistakes, and let's really study those and try and improve upon them. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunately uh, going to lead to those same mistakes happening again. And, uh, you know, you guys being kind of close there in California to the heart of Silicon Valley, I think, you know, um, the, the group that I look at and I kind of cite is the, that has 
um, probably done the best in sort of embracing uh, failure is, is really sort of the entrepreneurs and the folks like that you guys have there in Silicon Valley who, who really talk about the concept of being able to fail forward, right? We know that in each uh, failure, there's a seed of something that we can learn. And if we can fail forward and take that and learn, maybe we don't make the, the same mistakes again. And that's what I really like, would like to see is more of this acknowledgement that, yes, we are going to make mistakes, even when it comes to taking care of patients uh, in the hospital. And how do we, you know, embrace failure so that we don't make those same mistakes again. So what do you say to someone who tells you that humble leadership sounds great, but I work in a really aggressive competitive industry and it doesn't appear to me that humble people get ahead very often? Yeah, that's that's challenging. You know, when you start thinking about, um, I, I've read, um, you know, a lot of I've I've had that question actually I've, as I've gone out and spoke to people, and they say, hey, I really like your concept. I like what you say about you know being able to lead with grace and being able to lead with a, a spirit of teachability. But that's just not where I live and work every day, right? And usually my my I guess my retort to those folks is, hey, it can start with you. You know, <laughs> the best way to to um, start sort of spread the word about um, how humble leadership really should be the template going forward is to model it yourself, you know, to be the person who says, you know, it's okay for me. I can still be bold and aggressive at the same time and, uh, and, and certainly be ambitious for my team and my company. But I also know how to step back and say, hey, I made a mistake or there's something that I'm not good at. And how can, can somebody on my team either compliment me or, you know, there, there's still things I'm learning as a leader. And I think, you know, I, I've never seen when somebody's done that with a sort of spirit of authenticity and, and sort of in a, a, you know, in, a, in a true attempt to learn, I haven't seen it ever sort of count against them, if you will. Because, you know, and I, I have to sort of continually ri- remind people when I talk on this, you know, this topic that humility does not mean weakness, okay? Humility is not being meek and not, you know, standing up for yourself or your position or whatever it is. Humility is about having perspective, understanding and being confident in what you know, but also being able to step back and say, you know, and say what you don't know and, uh, and being confident and, and being really being in both of those places and trying to keep that in balance. And so, you know, in my book, I cite a lot of good research that says, hey, guess what? People want to work for humble leaders. So if you want to attract talent, uh, one of the best ways you can do that is be a humble leader. Uh, you know what? Humble leaders are, are better at leading change. And, and what industry <laughs> doesn't have to cope with that right now? And oh, and by the way, if you look at you know things like Jim Collins's book, uh, Good to Great, he says that humble leaders uh, really outperform uh, from financial metrics uh, those more egocentric or ego-driven leaders. So there really is a lot of power between you know behind being a humble leader, and we're just now almost starting to realize this, which is why you know I'm kind of passionate about the topic. Well, so the topic we hear about you should be a humble leader, you know, you should be vulnerable, you should have more transparency, and yet when you started on your journey to write this book, you realized there really wasn't a ton of. Uh, researchable or published information on humility. And so you've really started a trend, I think, for people to think about this more on the forefront. But why do you think it took so long for it to become a conversation that people were willing to have and that you've really written the first book dedicated to humble leadership? 
Well, no, I mean, I, I think I appreciate the credit there. I think there there were folks that I certainly, um, you know, uh, picked up on their research and tried to carry it forward. What I found is that there was there was a lot of, of scattered bits and pieces around people going, maybe we should, you know, should look at this. But um, there really just wasn't a lot that was sort of uh, maybe had pulled together a lot of the different research. When I think about it, I really look back and I go, you know, humility used to be, and maybe maybe it was one of those things where it went out of style at some point. I'm not sure when exactly that happened. But if you look back to maybe, you know, the greatest generation, uh, when, when we talk about the post-World War II years, humility was, was sort of very valued. And, and people looked, a lot of times when they looked at leaders, they didn't talk always about their, you know, the financial metrics and maybe the external factors, but they looked at their character. Um, Susan Cain in her book, uh, Quiet, um, you know, it was about the power of introverts. She talks about how we've had this shift at some point from the, you know, really a culture centered around character when it came to leadership to a culture that was sort of centered around the cult of personality, right? And what, what becomes a leader today a lot of times is what looks good or sort of this, this very popular brand of charismatic leadership, right? And so I, I don't know that humility, I, I think in some, in some ways it just sort of fell by the wayside. And I like to think that maybe, maybe we can um, make a difference by just having a little bit of a rebirth and redefining what it means for leadership today. Um, it's a hard thing to study when you really start talking about the research angle. Um, and just, you know, very simply, if you think about um, if I was to be in a room with 100 CEOs and I said, okay, I want the you know the ten most humble leaders to to stick around afterwards, and we're going to do some research. Well, if you if you self-identify as a, as a humble leader, in some cases you may be disqualified because it, you know humility is typically not something you're going to brag about. It's not something that you're going to m- maybe put on your resume, <laughs> you know those kind of things. But I, you know I, I hope I can be a voice for sort of shifting that conversation. And starting, you know, starting to get people to realize that, you know, humility means teachability. It means perspective. It means having a, a good um, uh, view of where you are within the grand scheme of things and being able to, to operate very confidently from, from that perspective. And so I think it's one of those things where, yeah, the research, I think, is, is sort of slowly gaining traction. You'll actually see there's a quite a bit of good research out there now on what I call sort of the opposites of humility. You're seeing good research on things like arrogance in the workplace and what a detriment it is. You're seeing, um, you've seen some good research um, around sort of narcissism and CEOs and leaders and what does that do to their companies. And uh, pretty, pretty scary stuff, actually, when you look at some of that research that's out there. And so what people have sort of failed to realize is that, well, if we don't want narcissistic and we don't want you know, leaders that uh, uh, sort of operate with this excess of pride, well, humility really is the answer, right? And so that's hopefully I can, I like to tell people hopefully that I can be a good messenger for, you know, helping to maybe just, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not the only voice, but maybe one of those voices that tries to sort of uh, maybe have a, a rebirth, if you will, of this old fashioned value. When you set out to write this book and at the time that you published it, uh, you certainly at that time did not have a crystal ball and see what is mm-hmm. happening in our world and in our country sure. today. And how, is your book affecting people coming and talking to you and asking you to speak on humility when, quite mm-hmm. honestly, in today's society, we are more than ever uh, faced with uh, ego and arrogance and some mm-hmm. of the and narcissism that is affecting people every day and they look to different channels for leadership. How is what you have written and, and where we are today uh, in society really playing into the message uh, from your book? Yeah, no, it's uh, so I was uh, when I was I was sort of um, putting the final touches on the book. 
uh, I guess in the fall of last year, and it was really kind of right in the midst of the election season, right? <laughs> and so I'm not gonna, <laughs> I won't uh, make comments either way. But yeah, when you when you're in the midst of an election season, and you see that a lot of our politics, unfortunately, are driven by uh, sort of ego and self promotion, uh, uh, that's where I kind of came up with the idea of the age of ego. It seems like we sure are living in those times. When you look at sort of um, sort of what social media and sort of this idea of everybody is their own personal brand and and we're taught, you know, almost in this culture today that to get ahead, you have to be a sort of a relentless self-promoter. And that's, uh, you know, it's, it's a challenging message, especially, I think, for young people. And we, don't, we still don't know probably what it's going to do to these generations that have just grown up in this culture. Um, but I think, you know, uh, one of the most interesting things, as I've told people about my book, and I've had the opportunity to share it with a lot of people, it's really interesting because people will say to me kind of two things. They'll say, number one, they'll say, if I explain a little bit about the topic and, and you know how I think humility is really should be a requirement for leaders, they kind of look at me and they say, yeah, you know what? That really resonates with me. That really, It sort of touches something that they go, yeah, I think you're right. And, and sort of that realization that, yeah, this is really needed in a lot of spaces. But then the second thing always surprises me, and I almost get it every time. Because as they sort of process that and they go, yeah, humility, that, that really makes a lot of sense. But then they, they always follow it up by saying, I know somebody that needs your book. And I, I kind of laugh sometimes because um, I've only had out of hundreds and hundreds of people I've spoken to about this topic at this point, I've only had two people actually say, hey, this is something that I could use. <laughs> and, and it gets to be one of those things where um, everybody can think of somebody else that maybe could benefit from being more humble. And they always, you know, they give me a couple, you know, a couple common ones are, hey, I'd love to give this book to my boss, you know, or hey, I'd love to give it to, you know, somebody in Washington, D.C. Or, you know, I'd love to give it to some of my, you know, first year students or whatever it might be, right? But um, I, I think in, what that underscores for me is like is a little bit of what a blind spot it is for most people is that they, they kind of see value in humility. They see utility and they see that they like being around humble leaders, but they're not sure quite what to do with it themselves. Maybe it's a little, maybe it's a little personally, personally threatening. Um, but, but that's kind of one of the, the things that I hear. And I think just, you know, if you look around to kind of round back on your question, we, we do live in this age where we're, we're taught to uh, go out there and fake it till you make it. And you know, that you are your own personal brand. Well, you know, why not brand your, your may, why not make part of your leadership brand based around humility and really what that means? And so that brings up an interesting question of if you're talking about being humble, but you're also an author who is out there promoting a book that you want to help, <laughs> you know, improve others' lives and the workplace sure. around them. What are some of the challenges of marketing a book on humility? Yes, that's a very interesting question. It's uh, it's one that I've sort of struggled with, quite frankly, over the last year. You know, um, uh, there's a, a great author here in, uh, that actually lives in my neighborhood. He's got a couple bestsellers. His name is John Acuff. And he put out a blog recently that said, look, if you want to be an author, uh, but you don't want to promote your book, then why bother? You know? <laughs> and so I kind of have to listen to that and go, yes, you know, if you, if you, and really what I try and do is I, I say, you know, I say to myself, look, if you believe in the message and you believe that it's something good, then you want to be a good uh, carrier of that message and you want to get the word out. So, you know, much like uh, in, in Good to Great, one of the things that Jim Collins pointed out when he started really looking at these leaders who were both very successful and very humble was he said that, you know, what they do is it's, it's not that humble leaders are not ambitious. They're ambitious, but they're ambitious for their organization. You know, they're ambitious for, you know, their team, for their, their school, for their community, whatever it is that's the bigger, uh, the bigger entity, right? 
And so I, I guess, you know, in my sense, when you, when you try and promote this book, it's, um, it's got to be done in a sense of, hey, I think this is a message that I want to get out there. Um, I'm not saying I'm the best author in the world. I'm not saying that it's the most well-written book. I think, but I do think there's very, I think I'm confident that there's value in there for, for any kind of leader. And I hope that I can, you know, continue to carry that forward. And because it would be look very, um, it would be very, you know, what you have to guard against, right, is you don't want to certainly go out and try and speak on humility and speak from a place of, of maybe overconfidence or arrogance. Uh, what I try and tell people is just that I've done a lot of research on this topic, and, and I'm very passionate about why, how I think it can be helpful for leaders. And so that's the maybe the platform on which I try and, and speak on the book. Yeah. Well, for those that read the book and those that are brave enough to say, "Hey, Andrew, you know, I think I need to be more humble, or I'd really like to try on some of these different uh, different styles of humility." How do you incorporate humility into workplace culture, and what advice do you have for leaders who want to learn to exhibit that that quality? Yeah, uh, it's a hard question. I think um, so. You know, the first thing I think is that. Um, you know, uh, Carol Dweck is a Stanford professor who, who's written her book is called Mindset, and it's made huge impact over the last, you know, I would say five or six years. But you know, there, there's always these things, and what she really talks about in her book is that essentially there's two kinds of people. There are people with a growth mindset and a fixed mindset, right? And, and the fixed mindset is essentially that you think, hey. Uh, I'm either good at math or I'm not, right? It's sort of a talent-based mindset of, you know, I can, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be, I, I'm somebody who can learn a language, a foreign language, or I'm just not good at that. Versus the growth mindset says, hey, uh, I may not be good at math just yet, but if with study and practice, I can improve my life and I can improve those skills, right? And, and so she talks about how, you know, it's not always the things that we think. Um, and people that even generally have a growth mindset when it comes to certain areas of their life may may actually lapse into a fixed mindset. And so, you know, as, as a leader, you, you hopefully are the type of leader that tries to improve your skills, right? And so you'll take a course on how to do better interviewing if you're, you know, if you're going to be hiring a bunch of people. You'll, you'll go to a courses on leadership where they talk about being a better negotiator or any of these other, you know, there's just tons of skills that leaders need to be working on and polishing. But, but then I tell leaders that, you know, humility is really important for you. And they kind of go, well, yeah, maybe I agree with you, Andrew, but I'm not sure there's much I can do about that. <laughs> uh, they they kind of have, they lapse into sort of that fixed mindset of, well, I'm just not very humble by nature or, or some people. People on the you know on the converse side may say, well, yeah, no, I think I'm pretty good. I'm I'm a pretty humble leader, and so what I try and do is just get people out of that fixed mindset and say, you know, look, if you if you buy the argument that humility is a good thing for leaders based on some of the the evidence that we're starting to see. Well, then what's your plan as a leader to kind of continually walk in that direction and, and really continually sort of renew your humility? Because, you know, I teach a class that, that goes along with the book and it's about a two hour class and have some great conversation. But I, at the end, I go, look, there's no certificate for passing the humility course. You don't get to sort of stamp your resume and say you're certified in humility because it really is has got to be one of those things. It's a continuous pursuit because um, one of the, the biggest threats as you have more success as a leader is that you will gradually kind of lose that humility, uh, regardless of sort of what level you started with, if you will. Um, it's one of those things that as you have more success, what everybody tells you as they pat you on the back and as they give you awards is that you're doing it right. You, you are, the, you are the, the preeminent authority in your space. You are the best leader that we've ever seen in this unit or this company. 
And every time somebody tells you that, a little bit of that humility leaves you. <laughs> and so, you know, it's a very difficult thing for leaders. And, and so what I tell them is that you really need to have this mentality of you're either going to kind of consistently pursue humility or you're going to find out very painfully that it'll come visit you. And you're going to be surprised when uh, all of a sudden it, it sneaks up on you and you're humbled sort of in a, a, a very raw fashion by either, you know, a mistake you made or, or maybe something that just doesn't go right and you sort of never saw it coming. And that's the kind of thing that I think is scary as a leader is you can be chugging along, doing everything right, going in the right direction. You get told for years upon years that your way works. But at some point, you lose perspective, you stop learning, and then all of a sudden, uh, something sneaks up on you. So we, to your point, you know, we're taught, don't believe your own press, because it's easy <laughs> yeah. to get ahead of yourself and say you want to stay humble, you want to have those checks and balances. For leaders that are faced with those moments of like, hey, somebody doesn't think I'm the best at what I do, or you have a situation where all of a sudden you're having to go do some soul searching, where do you recommend those who are not comfortable with being humble or comfortable at admitting that something didn't go as attended? Who do they reach out to to be able to to talk through this and still maintain really, I guess, that sense of self more than ego in a situation mm -hmm. like that? Yeah, and I, mean, I guess that's a little of the converse, right? And and I do think too. I mean, um, you know, they're, they're you know, I talk about it too, and I don't want to give the impression again. Um, to me, humility and confidence are not opposites, right? Uh, you need to you need to be both confident in what you know as a leader, but you also need to be humble about what you don't know and be willing to learn. And so, a lot of times, you know, when your confidence is shattered, that's the sort of different type of a problem, right? But again, I think even even being hum you know humble can help you there. Uh, there's a lot of good research and there's a lot of good writing out there now on, on this topic of resilience, right? And I and I truly believe that if you if you start from kind of a humble mindset, um, one of the things you're going to acknowledge, uh, kind of what we mentioned earlier, is that, yeah, you're going to make mistakes. <laughs> As a leader, it's not a continuous up, uphill you know, uh, climb of just one smashing success after another. And, and often we're just not honest about that, or, or we try and portray maybe a different reality. And so you have to have those people, honestly, that are close to you, and mentors and friends and uh, you know, colleagues that you can share a mistake with. And that when you make a mistake, you can talk about it with them and you can, you know, you can feel like you have that safe space to really, you know, kind of flesh it out and try and learn from that. But I think if you, you know, again, kind of start with this idea of, uh, you know, I am going to make mistakes just like everybody else, that when you, when you have one of those failures, you have one of those setbacks, I think humility is going to help you be more resilient and probably bounce back quicker um, when I think it was in 2014 uh, that Google was named the number one company uh, by Glassdoor.com as the number one place to work, right? And then so, you know, when they were doing, a, a, I guess, uh, their chief HR officer was being asked about, you know, what kind of people do you hire at Google? And um, one of the things he said was that humility is a value that we really uh, place very highly in our culture because when people come to Google, they're going to figure out pretty quick that they're not the smartest person in the room anymore, and they said, you know, um, generally what happens is if you, uh, we don't hire, he said they don't, they don't try, you know, they try to not hire kind of newly minted MBAs who just have this sparkling record of success because when they come to Google and figure out for the first time that they are not the smartest person in the room, it can almost be crushing for them. 
And, and, you know, and again, if they never developed any self-perception or, or awareness around this, it can really be detrimental and they don't last very long. So they look for people that have had maybe an up and down road and, and been able to bounce back from some setbacks and really, you know, uh, understand that, hey, this is all part of it. This is all part of the leader's journey is that not every opportunity works out. And, and, and again, I think that humility can help you there. But it's, it's that balance of humility and confidence that you're always striving to kind of maintain. So it sounds like we should be adding the humility question, you know, into interviews. I usually like to ask people, <laughs> tell me about a time when you failed. And right. you get that blank stare of like, oh my gosh, am I supposed to make something of or be honest? And you can truly, mm-hmm. you can truly tell the difference. This was your first journey into, into writing a book. And I'm certain that you think about you know, what's next and, and what else do people need to, to hear about. As you think about writing your second book, has something sparked from your journey on the humility imperative? Or did you already have something else in, in the coffer as you started to think about book number two? <laughs> Well, that's interesting. Uh, it's a, it's a, something I have been thinking about. I really want to take um, December to kind of, I always try and take a year-end inventory and go, okay, what worked, what didn't, and, and where do you go next, right? So I feel like that time period's coming up. But one of the things, and I have a chapter in the book that talks more about, uh, really the first book is around how as an individual leader can humility help you and really be something that, uh, you know, not only becomes a part of your leadership toolkit, but it just becomes hopefully a lifelong discipline and helps you um, much beyond sort of your, your maybe your business or professional career. But uh, something that I think is interesting that I would like to, you know, dig more into is around what does a humble organization look like? You know, what does it look like when, if, if the leadership really, you know, models this attitude and, and can permeate this sort of a spirit throughout the organization, what would that really look like? Because I don't know that I could name off the top of my head. I don't know if you could. What what's a humble company look like? <laughs> what what's the company that's known out there for being the most successful and most humble? I, we just don't think about businesses in those terms typically. And I think, um, but but on the other side, and sort of what we got, you know, what got me fascinated about this topic initially was. We know what it looks like when arrogance leads, when a, when a Fortune 500 CEO is known for being extremely arrogant, we know what that looks like, and we know it's not good. So, um, one of the things I'm reading, one of the books I'm finally getting to read right now is uh, The Smartest Guys in the Room about the, the rise and fall of Enron. And I have just been eating this book up over the last two weeks because I just find it so fascinating how how arrogant and how... Uh, <laughs> How, how, how much these guys, uh, to quote you before, believe their own press. And, uh, and it just, it's, it's watching it, this train wreck unfold, you know, unfold in slow motion. And uh, certainly this was, you know, to me it was sort of like the crash of 2008 before the crash of 2008. And, and you know, to really have an inside seat and look. So, you know, to me it's like if, if you look at uh, what arrogance, you know, sitting at the top of an organization looks like and what the trickle-down effect is, maybe um, – I would like to uh, maybe study more about what happens uh, and what does it look like if you can find a truly humble company. And, uh, you know, like Jim Collins pointed out, they're, they're probably outperforming their competitors. Um, you know, one of the things that comes to mind for me, just uh, even on along that vein, is almost in any industry, if you look across, um, you know, it doesn't matter, but customer service is still such a struggle. And uh, the companies that do customer service really well, tend to outperform their competitors uh, by a large margin. And I think to actually serve well, you have to come at it with a foundation of humility. So those are some of the things, I guess, Sarah, that are rolling around in my head as I try and think about maybe what's next or how do you continue to build upon this topic. 
I can tell you one thing for certain that the company that listens to this and volunteers to be your humble company is probably not <laughs> going to be the one that you choose. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's tough, right? Yeah. So I do want to point out, uh, obviously, being a reader of the book and sharing it with others, towards the end, you mention a segment by Carl Sagan called The Pale Blue Dot. And for anybody listening that goes out to YouTube and, and pulls up Carl Sagan reading an excerpt of his own essay and really explaining why he chose to even talk about the pale blue dot and what that is, you incorporate that into a book about humility. And it's a very moving uh, piece, both uh, in your book and, and how he talks about his own story in that space. How what, what was your intent in ending with that and the message that as people finish reading the humility imperative, how they bring those themes together and think about the future? Yeah, so yeah, it, it, you, you said it right, Carl Sagan, when he wrote that essay around the pale blue dot. One of the, to me, it's, it's a sort of, a, you know, it's a poem. Uh, and to me, it, it really is an inspiring message around uh, just our place in the universe. And, uh, you know, he certainly talks about having perspective. And, uh, and I think it's one of those things, it's, I'm, I'm lucky enough, I'll, I'll, I'll put in, I guess, a little bit of a plug here. I'm lucky enough to work at a company, and our company is called 40AU. And everybody always asks me, what is 40AU? Uh, well, 40AU stands for 40 Astronomical Units. And uh, our company was founded, uh, one of my partners took his inspiration from that essay. And 40AU is, is 1.7 billion kilometers, I think is the, maybe uh, uh, give or take a few kilometers, but that's the distance that that Voyager 1 spacecraft took the famous picture that Carl Sagan writes about in The Pale Blue Dot. And so it's, uh, it's, uh, they thought they were at a safe distance to be able to get a picture of all of the, uh, at the time, nine planets of the solar system in. And so they took this picture, and that was uh, the picture in it. Earth is just this little bitty you know, speck. It's this little pale blue dot, and that's where the name came from, uh, within this little ray of light. And he says, you know, at this distance, you can't help but, but have some humility. And you think about all the petty things that we fight about, and we kill each other over, um, over just a fraction of a fraction of a pixel. And so, you know, our, our company really tries to embrace humility as one of our core values. And we're trying to, to say, hey, there's a way to be successful and be humble at the same time and serve people well and, and hopefully keep perspective. And so I think to me, um, it, it's one of those things where I talk about it and I think the analogy is apt, but one of the most difficult things is to keep perspective. Uh, how do you continuously hone uh, this maybe objectivity of sort of where am I, what's my place in this whole grand scheme of things, and how do I contribute and, and you know, and continue to make a difference, but, but also uh, stay humble and be able to keep that perspective, which is just so hard to maintain with everything that comes at us these days and sort of the chaos of, of, <laughs> of, our, of our modern world. So. Our listeners are going to want to reach out to you and have a way to connect, ask you questions, learn more about both 40AU and the Humility Imperative. How do you recommend that our listeners reach out to you? Sure. No. Um, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um, um, I am on Twitter, and I, um, I, I really, but you know, I, th I find that Twitter is good for passing information. If if people are interested, I, like I said, I love to teach. This is why I wrote the book was because I really like to get in front of people and share a message. And I thought you know, people told me that they liked the content, um, and that you know um, the best way to get to to teach it more would be to write the book that goes with it. And I, I have found that to be true. So uh, connect with me on LinkedIn is great. Again. Uh, Last name is just K-E-R-R. -R. It looks like 
uh, Steve Kerr, like the coach of the Warriors, but I pronounce it Carr. And, uh, and so, yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn or um, I have an email that's set up based around the book. It's just the humility imperative uh, at gmail.com. And, uh, and I, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here, Sarah, and just talk about this topic with you. I certainly would love to, to speak with some of your listeners about it. And, you know, it's one of those things where I think it takes courage, uh, again, as a leader, when you look at your company and you say, hey, you know what, this could be a message that we could use. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, because I, I tell people, I joke about it, but you know, certainly nobody wants to be sent to the humility class, right? <laughs> uh, it's one thing if you kind of come of your own volition, but, you know, as a leader, if you look at your team and you say, gosh, we're just, we've had this really successful year and we've had this high flying year, um, but you know what, what's next for us and how do we continue to, to stay teachable and stay humble? I think it's perfect for that company. Um, I end up speaking quite a bit to, um, there's a lot of companies that have these high potential programs, right? And so you get told that you're the best and the brightest in these high potential programs for you know 12 to 18 months. And I like to speak to these groups right as they're about to graduate and get done and say, look, this is really just the beginning for you as a leader. You've certainly gained lots of skills, but here's some things that you need to keep in mind as you go forward, right? So um, yeah, really, again, really appreciate the opportunity and certainly reach out because I love connecting with people. And it's nothing is more, um, I guess, flattering as an author to have somebody just reach out and say, hey, um, I heard about your book. I heard about your material. And here's something I, it just really touched me and I'd like to share my story, you know? No, absolutely. And thank you for taking the time to share your journey with our listeners as well. And for those listening, we will have the link to uh, where you can purchase Andrew's book online available and some of the transcript information as well. So, Andrew, thank you for taking the time to be with the SoCal Hymns podcasting channel today and to share your story with all of our listeners. It's been an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it, Sarah, and you guys take care. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. Be on the lookout for our next episode featuring Dr. Andrew A. Brooks, the co-founder of Tiger Text and their chief medical information officer. Special thanks to Esteban Parano, our audio and mixing engineer, for helping us to produce our podcast series.